Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States. We are available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so that you do not miss an interesting episode. Today, we have for you Soribel Felix. Welcome, Soribel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to have you here on our show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So, well, I'm Soribel. Um, I'm a New Yorker with a uh, Dominican background. So my family moved to the U.S. Uh, in the 90s um, from the Dominican Republic. I went to school here in Brooklyn, New York. I went to public school here, and then I went to uh, CUNY, which is the City University of New York, Brooklyn College. And then after that, I, I did quite a few internships before I found myself interning at, on Capitol Hill and getting really interested in foreign affairs. And then I applied to this wonderful fellowship that gave me the opportunity to uh, go into the foreign service. So I got into the foreign service. Uh, I mean, after grad school, I went right into the foreign service. I, and I was there for two, uh, eight years, eight years, um, uh, before I decided to do something else. Uh, and I transitioned uh, into the tech industry. And now I work at Meta. I'm a program manager uh, for Meta. So, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. Wonderful to hear. It's so funny to hear, I was about to say, Facebook, but you use the new term meta. It sounds so new to my ears. I'm like, who's she talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'm still getting used to it myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a difficult transition from Facebook to meta, but I'm, you know, I'm just doing my best to remember. <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay, well, awesome, awesome. And we just are excited to hear what your journey here has been. So it sounds like you're a first-generation American. That's correct, yeah. And you're a millennial as well? I am. So what has that experience been, having immigrant parents, being a millennial in this kind of interesting age that we're in here in the United States? What that, what has that experience been like for you? I think it's been an interesting experience. It definitely kind of like sets you apart from, you know, the mainstream American experience because you definitely have a different perspective. You have, you know, different values and beliefs and the way that you are raised is is different from like 
the way like someone else was raised. But it's also like being in New York City where there are so many like people of immigrant descent, whether first generation, second generation, and where, where people really hold on to their roots here. I think that has made it easier and more like, you know, normalized. But, you know, outside of New York, it can be different. You can be different. So, so yeah, it's been, I, I, I wouldn't change it for anything. Like, I'm proud of who I am and, you know, my family and my history. But it's definitely an interesting experience. Right, right. So can you share with us a little bit about the Dominican Republic? What are fun things to do there? What's the food like? What's the culture, music, and language spoken? Yeah, so uh, the DR is, we call it the DR, right? Because Dominican Republic is a really long name. Uh, It's a small island in the Caribbean. We speak Spanish. It is a, I would say it's an island of, like, happy people. (laughs) Like, I would say it ranks really high up in the um, happiness, like country happiness index thing that they do. Definitely lower to middle income. It's grown a lot and it's gotten a lot better since like the early 2000s. It's very Americanized. It's very um, like interconnected, not just Americanized, but Europeanized and like there's people from everywhere, and it's right now it's very cosmopolitan. That's not the case when I lived there. And, you know, it's definitely, like, you know, when, when I hear other people refer to it, it's like, oh, my God, it's a party all the time. Like, people are just, like, dancing all the time and drinking and having fun. So that's, that's how I would describe it. It's like a happy island. It definitely runs on island time. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, there's beautiful, beautiful beaches there. Um, it's a touristic spot. Like, people go there. Because it's easy to go from here, especially from the East Coast, where most Dominicans are settled. It's like a three, four-hour flight. Um, and, you know, you can go to the beach, and you can drink, and you can have fun. <laughs> go to, you know, rooftops and take selfies and put it on Instagram. So it's definitely uh, like a happy island. That's that's how I would describe it. Food is, you know, very much like Caribbean food, right? Like rice and beans and, you know, whatever meat you have. Uh, that's like the, you know, they call it la bandera. That's the, um, like the basic dish the dish that mom cooks every day is habanera rice and beans with some kind of meat uh but there's the you know more elaborate um dishes right like you have sancocho which is like a stew with like all kinds of meats and all kinds of potato like stuff um and you have you know you have fresh fish in the coastal areas and you of course you have plantains <laughs> and like you know yuca cassava there's there's different names for it right depending on the country but yes. i know jamaica has like you know jerk chicken it's a signature dish yeah i don't yeah. think we have an equivalent of that 
but we share a lot of the same dishes, right? Rice mm-hmm. and beans, plantains. You know, my my weakness is um, maduros, which is sweet plantains. Oh my god! <laughs> it's my weakness, and I, you know, I try not to go anywhere near those things. But you know, I love it. <laughs> same here, girl. Like I, I confess, it's. It's hard to resist, believe me. <laughs> There's a video going around of this lady who's like, like somebody said that there's like a thousand calories in fried sweet plantains. And she's just oh! like so angry. I don't know if you've seen it, but she's like, why do you want to take away people's joy? Like, <laughs> who cares if there's a thousand uh, calories in this thing? Who cares? Be I'm happy. still going to eat it. <laughs> yeah oh my gosh I mean plantains is just beloved throughout the Caribbean and and some other cultures as well and I don't know I used to have it just for breakfast and that's all I wanted to eat when I was growing up and I still do I eat it in all forms the ripe ones the green ones the the chips or you know boiled uh, my mom l- loved to do it boiled and, and so many other ways. So yummy, yummy. And you can actually bake it and crush it and make it into this. I see the Africans do it and make it into fritters where they add mm-hmm. like codfish and, and, and other seasonings oh, and, and make it into like that. a fritter. And oh my gosh, that form of it too is uh, irresistible. So yes, yeah. we, yes, we've connected yeah. on the planting sphere there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What's, what's the music like? Because, you know, I know salsa and like Latin music, people say, okay, uh, there's a debate about where it's, is it Cuban? Is it Puerto Rican? What type of music people usually associate with the DR? Yeah. So, okay. So there's a lot of history in there. First of all, I have to say that salsa is, is well, as far as I know, did not originate in the Dominican Republic. So let's settle that. However, <laughs> Dominicans are some of the most passionate people about salsa. Like, we love it. It's, it's ours. It may not have been born there, but it's ours. So yes. we love salsa. But what, what's really from the DR is bachata, which I'm sure you know about. Yeah. And merengue. And there's also another um, genre, it's called, they call it typical, it means typical. Uh, it's also called Rico Ripiao. And it's, it's hard to describe. Like, it's kind of like a mixture of bachata and merengue, but it's very animated. Like, it's really hard to dance. And the songs are usually like seven to eight minutes. Like, mm-hmm. and it's seven to eight minutes of hard work. So when you dance that thing, you sweat. Wow. Okay. So that's, uh, that's more from the country. It's more like a countryside kind of music. Like it was associated with like lower class peasants. Like, you know, there, there's, you know, for a small island, there's a lot of different regionalities, right? So like if you're from the capital, 
you don't really listen to that because that's from the countryside, that's from the campo. Like you don't want to, you don't want to be associated with that. Uh, you know, that's kind of dumb, right? But that's how it is. And but bachata and merengue are like our signature music. And one thing that's very interesting is that bachata before it was like also like looked down upon and not like celebrated but there's this um group it's called aventura i don't know if you know about it it's uh romeo santos he's very mainstream very famous right now but he's he's a dominican-american kid from the bronx who they formed this band uh four four guys young guys in the Mm -hmm. late 90s early 2000s and, you know, four kids from the Bronx, they have the same last name, but they're not related. And they just, you know, start like singing bachata and they make it more modern. They throw some English and Spanglish in there and they have like really cool videos. And bachata like exploded, like mm. just mainstream and people love bachata. And now all this like, like singers from other countries want to have uh, like a duo with somebody who sings bachata so they can be popular too, so they can cash, cash in on that. So that's, you know, that's really cool and interesting. And like in every country that I've been, there's some kind of bachata, which is very different from the bachata that, you know, the real bachata, the authentic bachata that like, was born in the countryside of the Dominican Republic. Uh, and it's people like paying like $80 an hour for a bachata lesson. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> so yeah, so bachata is like the most popular. And because of, I think because of Aventura and like this, you know, Dominican American young hip um, people, it's become such a mainstream um, genre of music, which I love. Uh, there's one more uh, that I would call, it's called dembo, and I don't know what, what dembo means. It's a made-up word, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's hard to describe. It's like merengue, but it's like rap and hip-hop all together. What? It's, it's like the new thing, and it's, you like listen to it really loud, because that's how we oh. listen to music. And it's just fun. <laughs> it's dembo, just really- I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, so there's not not much in terms of lyrics there. So mm-hmm. like the older generation doesn't really love it. <laughs> Cause what is this? This is this doesn't say anything. But um, it's you know it's it's cool. It's cool. It's a new thing. Uh, right, right. Yeah, kind of so, like I guess reggaeton is reggaeton considered old. Well, de- define old, right? Like what? when I was growing up, when I was in high school, reggaeton was a new thing. You know, and that's what you do, and you dance it, and yeah. But after like 2010, reggaeton like died down, and then Bo replaced reggaeton. Okay, okay. So for my mom's generation, reggaeton is like this disgusting new thing that came up, and yeah. But reggaeton is old now. Like the new kids, like don't listen to reggaeton. Like what is that? 
Okay, okay. I, I first time I'm hearing about them both, so I'm gonna need to check it out. Yeah, do check it out. It's <laughs> you may love it, but you may hate it. <laughs> Can you talk about, you know, just growing up in, in an immigrant family and whether you had an American dream that you wanted to pursue? Was it foreign affairs or was it something else? Yeah. So growing up in an immigrant family was, it was interesting because I did um, live in the DR for, for about 10 years when I was growing up and I definitely got a good foundation uh, in terms of like education and you know being disciplined and being like you know respectful to parents and to your elders, so a different kind of upbringing than most American kids. You you should be thankful to your parents for for having you for sacrificing so much for. Uh, doing everything that they do for you. Whereas, like, in American culture, it's more like, oh, your parents are obligated to give you everything, and mm. they should be thankful to have you. And you know what I mean? Yes, <laughs> like, yes. You expect a lot from your parents, while, you know, in, in my family, at least, and in my culture, it's more like, Thank God that they've done so much for me. Thank God. And I have to kind of, you know, be good and try to, um, like, repay what, what they've done for me. You know, I grew up with that kind of mentality, right? Um, and then uh, when we came here, that that helped a lot because, you know, the high school that I went to, not, not one of the best high schools, let's say that. Like, a lot of dropout, the dropout rates were really high and um you know not many people graduated and not fewer people went to college so and you know my parents really didn't know like, despite wanting me to go to college and and do all these things they didn't know how to like navigate the system and set me up for that and you know help me study for the SAT like what is what is that <laughs> so you know I, I was left on my own a lot to figure it out uh, and I also had a part-time job too so you know they did want all these things for me and I did want all these things for myself but the how was not clear so my American dream was like really basic like going to college but I really didn't know how to do that so a lot of it was you know my teachers helping me and like you know, like, for example, one of my, my teachers, my AP English teacher was like, hey, so I hear you graduating. Um, what are you doing after? I was like, oh, I'm, you know, college. Okay, well, which one? I don't know. And okay, so do you apply? No. So she was like, okay, well, come to my graduate class. She was taking a, uh, she was doing a master's in education at Brooklyn College. And she was like, come to my graduate class. I'm going to talk to the professor and see if you can just sit in there. And then, you know, so at least you can see what it's like. And I was like, okay. So I went <laughs> and I sat there and 
you know, I ended up applying to Brooklyn College, and that's how I went to college. <laughs> so, you know, it was um, very much like on my own. Like, we will support you mentally and emotionally, but you kind of have to figure it out. So, um, yeah, that's that's how my my American dream happened. <laughs> Okay. And, and I, I, I imagine to a lot of our listeners and myself, I, there's things that you're expressing that I can relate to. The fact that, you know, our parents move here with us and they had to start over, frankly, and they didn't understand the American system. And so we had to kind of figure it out as well. It was never said that we needed to go off to college. We would, you just know that's what you do. Uh, there was no huge discussion about it are are pressuring us we just knew that what we needed to get done and so um but so thankful that this lady was there to help you just ask you questions and just help show you a way right yeah i i Um, owe her a lot for sure right that's that's grateful and i'm sure a lot of us have people in our lives who we can say oh you know this one person just had a conversation and mentioned something and we followed up and, and, you know, it led us to something else. So we're grateful for those people in our lives. Yeah. And I just want to like, you know, set a little bit of context because in my community and in my high school, not many people went to college. Like me and my sister are two of maybe like I can count them um, with my two hands, like people who ended up going to college. So that's why I kind of want to highlight like, the foundation that I had with, you know, having lived there and, you know, in the DR and having a mom that in the DR was very much like on top of my education, the kids' education and, you know, helping me and doing like grammar drills and things like that. But once we moved here, that that fell to the side because she couldn't help me. So that's, you know, that's, that's why I want to emphasize like the foundation that I had because I don't know if I had had if I had lived here like all my life if I if I didn't have that um like immigrant experience maybe I wouldn't have gone to college at all and it's it's so unfortunate right and it makes me nervous because I have a three-year-old daughter who'll be growing up in this culture and you wonder do I need to take her back in her formative years for her to kind of get and instill some of the things that I felt like were instilled in me when I was Mm -hmm. growing up. I went to high school in Jamaica, left after high school. And I mean, the rigor and expectation of doing well in school is just, you know, it's a given. I mean, there's peer pressure to do well in your class, not about wearing the best sneaker, the most expensive sneaker, who has the latest phone. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's in a different, the emphasis on education is definitely there, which sounds like it was the same for you. And it's quite unfortunate and kind of scary as a new parent to think that my daughter could possibly not go off to college because she wants to fit in, you know, and sad. too. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's different for, let's say for you, um, because, you know, kids that have parents who went to college are more likely to go to college, uh, you know, and, you know, hopefully she's growing up in an environment where kid, that's the norm. 
whereas I didn't grow, grow up in an environment where that's the norm, you know? So, but, but yeah, I understand the concerns. I, I'm not a parent, but um, I do understand, like, I definitely had it better than my parents, <laughs> but my kids, my future kids, if I have any, by virtue of being my kids, hopefully will have it better than I will. But I also don't want them to be spoiled brats. You know what I mean? And to, yes. you know, waste the opportunities and not, and like, I don't want them to take things for granted. So, so yeah, that's, that's a concern. I think that's a concern that people like you and I have. So, so what are some opportunities, sorry, Belle, that came along? I mean, certainly your teacher opening the door of her classroom for you to just audit the class and watch her. And you mentioned earlier that an opportunity that led you into the Department of State. Um, can you speak a little bit to some of the opportunities that helped you kind of get to where you are today? Yeah, um, I think I've been blessed with lots of opportunities. You know, going to Brooklyn College is a huge opportunity, going to CUNY. It's a great system, right? It's a city university of New York. It's a great college system that it's a middle-class making machine, right? So going there for almost like, if you compare it to (laughs) the other options we have here in New York, like NYU or Columbia University or any other school, it's a bargain. Like it was very cheap. So I had financial aid, you know, because of my parents' income. So that's another opportunity that I was able to graduate with no debt. I applied for this opportunity in sophomore year. It's called the uh, Institute for International Public Policy, and it's a special program from the United Negro College Fund. And that was one of the best opportunities I had because I went to... It was a multi-year fellowship um, taking me to Spelman College uh, in, you know, during my sophomore year for, you know, to introduce us, a group of 30 people, uh, to careers in public service and international affairs. And I was able to meet other, like, black and brown kids that were, you know, high potential and we're from all over the country. So that's a huge network. That fellowship also um, gave me some funds to study abroad, which is something that very, very few people did in, at Brooklyn College and at CUNY, but I, I got to study abroad in France. I was an au pair. So that was another opportunity. That same fellowship uh, the next year when I was a junior sent me to the University of Maryland at College Park. Um, to study, like to do things like statistics and uh, economics and to continue to expose all of us to careers in, you know, at State, at USAID, Peace Corps, uh, Fulbright, things like that. And that's how I learned about this Pickering Fellowship, uh, which is another great opportunity yes. <laughs> that I had missed, out, missed out on when I was an undergrad, but there was a graduate um, part of it too so when I graduated I was like pickering pickering so I had that in mind already 
so after I graduated, I, I had another opportunity where I applied to the Congressional Hispanic Leadership Institute. Uh, this is the recession time. This is 2010 in the recession. And like as a recent grad, political science, like there was nothing, there was not much uh, out there for someone, you know, that had just graduated. And that um, fellowship gave me like the opportunity to go to Washington DC to, to intern on the Hill. And you know that those internships are unpaid and the, the kids that are able to take those internships are, you know, usually upper, upper middle class kids. So this, this fellowship paid for my housing in the like downtown DC and gave me a Metro car for me to go to and gave me a stipend. So, you know, another huge opportunity for me to intern at uh, the House Committee on Foreign Affairs. Like that's huge. And then Pickering, you know, Pickering was amazing. Went to grad school for free. It fast-tracked my career into the foreign service, meaning that I still had to take all the tests and pass all the tests. Uh, but I, I didn't have to go into the register. I'm sure you know what that is. Um, I didn't have to do that. Uh, so that's, you know, that's huge. So, yeah, lots of opportunities, lots of them. Uh, you know, I'm very thankful, very thankful for those. Right, right. Wow. It's amazing because it sounded like after you audited your teacher in the classroom and went off to college, it just seemed like it was just one thing after the other. It's like you got in a train and it just kept moving you forward, right? Because you had a lot of scholarships and fellowship opportunities that exposed you to public service, foreign affairs, some that I, I didn't even know about listening to you talk. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm sure I forgot about some of them more. <laughs> right. But definitely like just looking out for opportunities was something that I did. Like I, I went to so I went to college and I stayed home. I lived at home. So I didn't have that um like college experience. But I spent my whole day in school. <laughs> like I would go in the morning and I would um like come home like in the evening or, uh, you know, like I would at the time, like, oh, my God, it makes me sound old. Oh, you know, I'm not. But there wasn't that much of like everything what is in the Internet. There was still a lot of like um, paper based things like you go to a place and there's a board there and, you know, you just read and look out for things. So. I don't know, maybe that was good or bad, but I was always looking out for what, what, what's this? What's that? What's that opportunity? Can, can I do it? Like, can I apply? Can I do it? Um, so, <laughs> and I'm sure if, if, if I had been a college, um, if I had been an undergrad now, like, I don't know, maybe I would have, I would have found even more things because everything is online now. Yes. Right. No, but it's, I mean, it's good that you, I'm not sure where that part of your mentality came from, but the fact that you were seeking things out and staying abreast and looking for opportunities is really good because, you know, I've, I've come across some young people who are so 
just so distracted by mainstream media, music and everything that's going on that they just are not looking for like educational opportunities, work opportunities that would, you know, really move them into another lifestyle as they get older. They're just so preoccupied with um, everything on YouTube and, and the conversations and the music and keeping up with. And it's unfortunate, but it's great that you, you know, you were keeping your eyes open and just wanted to, you know, see what things were, you know, what was available and, and then pursuing them and even throwing your name in the hat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, when they, when people talk about technology and how it's, uh, it, it's such a, it's a tool that you can use for your good or for, or you're lost, right? So I don't know how I would have been if I had, like, if I were an undergrad right now, because there's, like you said, there's so many distractions with social media and selfies and Snapchat and all that. But if if you're focused, like, it's also amazing. Like, there's LinkedIn. <laughs> and there's all these, all these Facebook groups that you can just say, Hi, my name is Soribel. I'm an undergrad. I'm looking for opportunities and this and that. And you have all these more senior women or people of color or whoever, whatever your demographic is. And like, yeah, I'll help you. Just call me. Just send send me your resume. Let me look. Like, there's so much more support now, but you have to be really focused and really, you know, not let yourself be distracted by social media. Right. So I, I intend to do an episode where I, I talk about different scholarships for people who might be wanting to get information about things they may not know about. So you, you, you dropped a lot of nuggets here in this conversation. You talked about one from the United Negro College Fund, the foreign affairs opportunity that you came across that brought you to Spelman. I'm not sure if that was the same one. Then the, then the Pickering Fellowship, there's also the Wrangell Fellowship. And there's a foreign affairs IT fellowship as well for people who mm-hmm. are on the technical side of things. So for people who are listening, please share with your young people, high school kids, you know, the, the Wrangell and Pickering Fellowship gives you opportunities to get involved in foreign affairs from your junior year in college. So pass the information along for people who might need to know. That's why we exist here on this podcast is to share information to Um, empower people to find opportunities you know yeah definitely join us next time for part two of this episode tune in next week for another episode of the immigrant experience in america as this is a new podcast we welcome any and all support if you have not done so already Subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence.